Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Winston Ray once led the Loyalist terror group, the Red Hand Commando. Better known as Winky Ray, he had been on trial charged in connection with two sectarian murders. But he died at the age of 72 at the beginning of December. There was going to be an announcement in relation to a temporary Loyalist ceasefire that evening at midnight. And Winston Ray's believed to have said that there was a rush to try and beat the midnight deadline. So this poor guy was murdered to beat the clock. Those charges were rooted in Ray's alleged interviews with the so-called Boston Tapes Research Project. Winston Ray was one of the loyalist people who contributed to that um, project and police gained access to his interview tapes. He was charged with 19 um, terror offences, including his involvement or alleged involvement in those two murders. He denied all of the 19 terror charges against him. It's my understanding that as part of that taped confession that Winston Ray made that he does talk in that about how some of the information they were being provided with it was actually too good. They didn't really know what to do with with it. There was there was there was such an abundance of it, and that was information that was obviously being provided by um, loyalists who had then went on to join members of the security forces. So who was Winky Ray? Had the ruthless paramilitary become a man of peace? And what was or what is the Red Hand Commando? I'm joined by our security correspondent Alison Morris. Alison, welcome to the Bell Tale. Who was Winky Ray? Well, as I said, Winston Ray was um, the leader at one time of the Red Hand Commando. The Red Hand Commando, most people will know, it's a sort of affiliate group of the UVF, the Ulster Volunteer Force, but was always seen as to be much tighter in terms of its membership, much more secretive. It came from the sort of the, the Tartan gangs, those groups of Protestant youths who would have sort of came from the, the, the Shankill area. At one time, I suppose, that have been, you know, they, they were known as the Tartan gangs because they were the Tartan, which was the fashion at that, that time. Um, he became a member of the Red Hand Commando through that. The Red Hand, as I said, was run by a guy called John McCaig. It was later taken over by Winston Ray. They were responsible for a number of murders and what they also did and were known to do is they were known to provide target information sometimes and weapons to other organisations to carry out murders on their behalf. Um, so uh, Winston Churchill Ray, to give him his, his full title, um, you know, was someone who led that group and has seeped in loyalism for, for his entire life. You know, he was someone who, who grew up in that tradition um, and continued that, that on right until his, his dying day. 
He died a week after his wife Liz, who was the daughter of the late UVF commander Gusty Spence. He He's from the Shankill. He moved to Groomsport where he lived uh, the remainder of his life. As you say, he had the connection with loyalism for a long time and he had spent time in, in jail for his role in the sectarian murder of two Catholic postmen. He was, and also there's, you know, there's a sort of mythical sort of loyalist story about how Gusty Spence was given, he was in prison at the time and he was given, um, you know, some sort of compassionate parole to attend his daughter's wedding and went on the run for four months after that. Um, he, he sort of legged it from the legged it from the wedding. Um, yeah, I mean, this is it served a considerable amount of time in the past. The Red Hand Commando, I suppose, one of the things that it was known for, as I said, their membership was a lot tighter, so there wouldn't have been the um, the same amount of infiltration you'd have seen with other organisations. He had been um, arrested and he was convicted for having the starting submachine gun, which was used on a, a drive by shooting on two um, two Catholic posts man and he had denied that he was found guilty and then he served his sentence on the UVF wing of Long Hash. When he got out of prison he would have been quite often in the, the company of people like William Plum Smith, David Irvine he was probably one of the initial members of the, the Progressive Unionist Party um, and he was also a mad football fan and was the, the founding member I think of the, the Northern Ireland Supporters Club on the Shankill. Yes, I should just point out that uh, he he was jailed for eight years in 1973 for his role in what we have described there as the sectarian murder of two Catholic postmen. Their names were Michael Coleman and Joseph McAleese. He was on trial for murder until the day he died, basically. He was. And remember, I mean, there was other murders he was linked to, including that of Frankie Curry, who was a relative of Ray, but um, there was a, a fallout and obviously he was he was killed and Ray was questioned in relation to that, but I was denied that. A leading loyalist dissident has been shot dead in the Shanko Road area of West Belfast. He was Frankie Curry, who was in his mid-40s. His death has led to fears of a violent loyalist feud. And then during the, the Loyalist feud of 2000, the very bitter Loyalist feud, his house was one of the ones that was targeted by Johnny Adair's Sea Company. His house was wrecked. He, you know, I think he was pictured in one of the papers standing at the front of front of his house. And he then moved to North Down and was living in Groomsport. So he was then arrested again in 2015. He was arrested, well, there was uh, moves by the, the PSNI to gain access to these, what's it called, sort of terror tapes, tape confessions that were made by um, Winston Wren and a number of other people as part of a, a doomed oral history project, which ended up, people were told that if they made these tapes that they would be secure until after their death. That wasn't true. Uh, um, they were only protected to the extent of American law and the PSNI later gained access to them. There was a number of people arrested in connection with information on those tapes, including Jerry Adams at one time. One Republican was charged, that was Ivor Bell. He ended up being found not guilty after a trial of facts. But Winston Ray was one of the Protestant loyalist people who contributed to that um, project as well. And police gained access to his interview tapes in which he gives information or was alleged to have given information about the murders of two people. And he was charged in connection with that. In fact, he was charged with 19 um, terror offences, including his involvement or alleged involvement in those two murders. And that had been going on, well, I mean, since 2015, I think he was charged in 2016. 
The trial was temporarily adjourned. It was delayed by COVID and then it was adjourned in 2021 as well due to obviously arguments by his legal team in terms of the inadmissibility of those tapes. But it was due to begin again in the, the new year. Um, obviously that will not now happen as Mr Ray, as you said, he, he died earlier this month. And we should say that uh, Mr Ray, as I have said in the introduction, he denied all 19 charges. He pleaded not guilty to conspiring to murder John Devine, who was 37, in July 1989, and John O'Hara, who was 41, in April 1991. And he also uh, denied being a Red Hand Commando member, which, in all fairness to him, he has been named as the leader Named oh. himself. He's given interviews and stuff in the past, and he obviously has taken part in tips. So I think that the Red Hand Commando leader stuff... Um, is, is, you know, was a pretty done and dusted deal. But the, the two murders, he was denying it. That was due to the fact that obviously that evidence had been considered to be inadmissible in the Ivor Bell case and inconsistent. But the, the loyalists who give those tapes give those interviews to a different interviewer. And so the prosecution was arguing that they could be admissible. We'll never know whether they were going to be or not because, as we know, there's a legacy act now passed. Those trials have probably come to an end. It would have been one of the last of those terror trials anyway had it went ahead. With regards to the Boston tapes, before we move on from the Boston tapes, were, were any recordings played in court or submitted into the court? Yeah, there was some some recordings played in court and also some transcripts given into the court as well. I have seen some of those transcripts as well. But yeah, there was some of it was played. Um, a lot of it wasn't because obviously it was being um, kept for the actual trial itself. Um, and a lot of it you can hear, you know, there's, with those, I suppose with any sort of oral history project of that type, there's just sort of a bit of bravado and a bit of boasting and then people get quite relaxed and start talking in more detail. The The connection between um, Winston Ray and John Devine was that John Devine was a, worked in a, it was a coal man. He delivered coal and um, Winston Ray worked in the same coal yard and would have known him and known that he was a, a Catholic. The murder um, of John O'Hara was completely random. He was a, a Catholic taxi driver who just started working for that taxi depot, I think, that evening. The, there was going to be an announcement in relation to a temporary loyalist ceasefire that evening at midnight. Um, and Winston Ray's believed to have said on those Boston tapes that there was a rush to try and beat the midnight deadline. He spoke to another guy who was a member of the Combined Loyalist Military Command who had said that this was going to be in this statement that the relation the statement was going to be released at midnight and it would be handy to put pressure if there was something done before then just to keep the tempo up. So this poor guy was murdered to beat the clock. He was a completely innocent taxi driver, answered a call out and was murdered. And his wife, his widow, had actually been previously widowed before. Her other hus- her husband, her first husband, had also been murdered in a random sectarian attack by um, loyalist paramilitaries. And, you know, those families had waited quite some time for this. They did believe that there was, albeit an outside chance of them getting some kind of justice. Um, clearly the, the, the speed at which our justice system works or does not work in this case has denied them ever having that, that day in court. It is very interesting because uh, you know there have been there has been some coverage around Winston Winky Ray and his various post terror exploits to kind of make him out to be somewhat of a character, but that's you don't you don't get worse than that really you know killing a man to make some sort of political point a random person coming up to a midnight deadline. I mean well, it's, well, it's, both, it's 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 yeah. inexplicable really. One was one one was someone who he thought they had maybe not a friendship, but at least some sort of working relationship with this guy. And, you know, I've been told from loyalist sources that after um, the, the murder of John Devine that even hardened loyalists said to him, like, why did you, you know, why, why did you do that? I thought 
you know, you were friendly with that guy. It's just, it was, it's very cold hearted. It's very random and it takes no consideration for those victims' families. And I have no doubt, no doubt, and I have spoke to loyalists who knew him very well and were very fond of him and did say he was, you know, he was clearly, you know, he was a guy who liked to drink and liked to smoke. You could see that. He was in, you know, in, in pretty poor health and in rag order. And at the end of his life, he was brought in out of the court in a wheelchair. But, you know, I have met people who have been jailed for horrific offences during the Troubles and it doesn't mean that they're not personable but it doesn't excuse I suppose the callousness of what they've done or the, the, the grief that they leave behind or the, the devastation that they've left behind um, in terms of families who've had to grow up throughout all these years not just with missing the loved one you know the head of their family a father a husband a lot of cases too remember those people were the breadwinners for that family and families were left half the time then you know not just grieving, but also in extreme financial stress as well. And then also the fact that they were denied justice. These two families did believe that there was some hope that they would get justice. They won't now, but I, I do hope that, you know, that the, the rest of what is contained in those tips, you know, if we can do our best as journalists, I suppose, to make as much of that public as possible. And at least then people might get some answers or some truth as to what was going on behind the scenes at that time. Just before we move on to other things, I just want to go back then, as you mentioned there, the Boston tapes. I wonder, I wonder, were they ever to become public when these individuals died or was there... Some of them did become public, as if you remember, um, Ed Maloney released a book with Brenton Hughes and David Irvine after their death. You'll notice if you've ever read that book that they're two very different interviews. So Brenton Hughes talks extensively about IRA operations, including Unsolved. Murders. He names other people and implicates other people in, in other unsolved killings, whereas David Irvine's is actually quite bland. He talks basically about his own life, like an interview that he would give to you or I. You know, he doesn't say anything because what what um, what I was told is that those people who were members of organisations had to seek permission from the leadership of those organisations to give those interviews and were told, you know, go ahead, speak, but speak about yourself. If it's something you went to jail for, speak about that, but do not mention or implicate anyone else and do not talk about anything that's unsolved. And that's what they did because I've spoke to a guy who was a member of the UDA. He gave one of those interviews and said, I don't care. The cops can have my tape tomorrow. There's nothing on it. You know, we were told before we did it. But the people who did it on the Republican side, most of them, well, all of them were what you would consider, I suppose, what we would call off message. There were IRA men who had fell out with the leadership of the IRA and with Sinn Féin and their political direction afterwards. And so they give a lot of information. Hughes died in 2008, which is why his secret interview can be heard. A lot of the stuff that I'm saying here, uh, I'm saying it in trust because I have a, uh, a trust in you. I mean, I have never, ever, ever admitted to be a member of the IRA. Never. Uh, I've just done it here. Hughes was the IRA commander in Jean McConville's neighbourhood the night she was abducted. I knew she was being executed. I knew that. Uh, I didn't know she was going to be buried or, or, or disappeared, as they call them now. It was inadmissible anyway because it's, you know, um, for something to reach the test for prosecution, it has to be corroborated with other evidence. In a lot of cases, this was either hearsay, third party, there was leading questions asked to them. And also, you know, when the PPS had give us reasons why they weren't charging specific people in relation to that, they'd said that, that the, the questions were very leading, that some of the times that people were asked to talk about things that they, you know, didn't know about but maybe had heard. Um, and so that's why they weren't used. But it's, it's you know, it's now held up and it's used as an example in academia of how not to run an oral history project. 
we'll perhaps hear about the Boston tapes again. There's 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 so much. Well, I'm so keen much to go through the rest of Winston Reyes and see what else because there's stuff in there that maybe wouldn't have reached the test for for um, a, a charge to be made. He has 19 charges, but there's other stuff there that I think is is very interesting. As you know, as we're, we're trying to document now this time and what happened. Um, and it's all part of trying to put a paint to fuller picture of what actually went on here during the conflict. And I think that, that you know, as, as journalists, not just is it in the public interest, but I think it's, you know, it's also something that could be a matter of historic record. So, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to dig deeper into that at, at some stage. Following his death, um, Dr. John Kyle, who was formerly with the Progressive Unionist Party, he later defected to the Ulster Unionist Party. He said that uh, Winky Ray should be remembered as someone who transitioned the Red Hand Commando away from violence. Can we take that seriously? Look, there's there's merit in that and there isn't, okay? So John Kyle is, is, does not have the ability to give forgiveness to anyone who was involved in, in murders. But the Progressive Unionist Party and people like David Irvine, people like Plum Smith, um, you know, people like Winston Ray then did go on to help negotiate the, the ceasefires. They also went on to help bring that organisation along with it. And unlike the UVF and UDA who continued to recruit. The Red Hand um, Commando did sort of fade away, if you know what I mean. They didn't continue to recruit into the ranks. At one stage, they'd maybe have had about a 1,000 members. By the time it came um, to the, the sort of latter part of, of the end of the, the 2000s, 2010s, it probably only had less than 100. I would say now, you'd, you know, if there's two dozen members, I'd be surprised because it really is what you'd call like an old boys club. These are, you know, they're old men mostly now. Um, and they did try then to have the play, the Red Hand Commando desubscribed, if you like, you know, to, to have it taken off the prescribed terror list. And they made an application to have that. Um, I think it was like 2017 they made an application and Winston Way would have been involved in that process. It was turned down by the, the Home Office and the Secretary of State at that time, probably for very obvious reasons. But um, yeah, they did have a, a failed application to be removed from the list of prescribed organisations. They argued that they were now a community-based organisation and were no threat to anyone, including the, the United Kingdom's government, which is part of the reason why groups are prescribed, but that was not knocked back. I find in life that most organisations, groups, seem to just die accidentally. They they fall apart. People get disinterested. No one turns up to a meeting. The, the committee hasn't met in a while and they just fade away. And in order to not let an organisation fade away or or, or, or disband or, or simply stop functioning, it actually takes a lot of effort. So, Yeah, I agree. You know, and so when, when they say that, you know, that these groups need... And again, I suppose we're going off on the tangent and, you know, are these groups ever going to transition? There's reasons for them to transition in terms of they won't then be subject to, um, you know, investigations by the PSNI and the Paramilitary Crime Task Force. And there's reasons for them not to transition. Them not to transition is obviously there's money still to be made from this. There's power, there's safety in numbers, there's all sorts of other things that come along with it. The Red Hand was probably in a different category to that in that I said that they'd... they'd it all got so old, basically, that it just had faded away naturally by by itself. Um, but I mean, look, let's not move away from the fact that this was a murderous group who was not only involved in killing Sackett that actually they carried out and claimed, that they were also very much involved in targeting people for other organisations, providing targeting information. It's my understanding that as part of those that sort of taped confession, 
that Winston Ray made that he does talk in that about how some of the information they were being provided with it was actually too good you know he talks about how there's so much information they didn't really know what to do with with it there was there was there was such an abundance of it um, and that was information that was obviously being provided by um, loyalists who had then went on to join members of the security forces or BUDR members or other things so you know that's why I think it's such an interesting time in history Winston Ray is now gone he can't speak or advocate for himself but he has left behind a record of his life um, and you know I'm sure that the families of, of John O'Hara and the families of John Devine would like for whatever he said about their family and their loved one to be made public and for them to know the truth as to what actually happened. The Red Hand Commando was linked with the UVF. It was in a relationship somehow with the UVF. Not the UVF, but not entirely distinct from it. Can, can, we, can we put that into words somehow? Yeah, well, it is. It's an affiliated group of the UVF and that is quite similar. So if we look back at during the Troubles, you had the volunteer force and then you had the Red Hand Commando and they would have been there would have been a crossover in terms of how those groups operated um, and in terms of the leadership of those groups as you say you know when somebody was married to Gusty Spence there were a very close relationship there not just familial but also a relationship there in terms of their loyalist past and history then you would have the Ulster Freedom Fighters the UFF and the UDA and they are an affiliate group of each other because at that time, and people, I suppose, would find it even bizarre when you say it out loud, but the UDA was not a prescribed organisation for many, many years. Um, and so they carried out killings under the name of the the um, UFF. And that was uh, a way of, I suppose, hiding and using other groups. We also had like other groups like, you know, the um, Protestant Action Force and all sorts of other cover names that were used. And these were basically just to hide the fact that or distract away from the fact of the people who were actually carrying out those killings. It is interesting. This is an organisation known as the Red Hand Commando. This is a reference to Irish mythology. I suppose the Red Hand Commando might say Ulster mythology, the Red Branch Knights. They even have uh, an Irish language motto, Lao Yarigabu, uh, the, the, the Red Hand up the Red Hand, I suppose. That's that's quite significant, isn't it? And they do have a, they did have a link to a certain John McCaig who had a link to the Tara yeah. organisation and... A whole lot of other very dark things. The 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 thing is that you see Irish um, writing on a lot of those old symbols and mottos, and there are graves of what would have been senior um, orange men, and who at the turn of the last century, when they died, had beautiful Irish and Celtic writing on their gravestones and their headstones because they were fluent Irish speakers. And so, it's yeah, it's interesting that they have always, and you see that you see that motto on flags as well. Quite a lot on loyalist flags that are active in the twelfth and on, on murals. But let's not forget. I mean, the the Red Hand Commando. Um they normally took their attacks normally took the form of random shootings they they killed catholic civilians they left no warning bombs it for for the for the, for the commando name like we're not talking about crack commandos engaged in, 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 in militaristic action like some sort of special forces here we're talking about people who killed random catholics i mean that's you know, that's what you're up to. Yeah, and some of them did become, I think, quite, you know, sort of in their latter years, they may have became men of peace. And 
you know, we've seen that in the Republican circles too. And you do need someone who had the respect of all of those other men, those other paramilitaries to bring them along, that peace process. You know, if it wasn't someone they respected, they could have rebelled in greater numbers against it. Loyalism didn't quite manage to bring as many people, I suppose, as long as you think about groups like the IRA who managed to bring the majority um, all with it. And those distant groups never really get off the ground in any big numbers. But yeah, they, they did become men of peace. And I think that it's because obviously of the experiences that they had and not just in terms of of um, the fact that some of them went to prison for quite considerable long times. They maybe lost family as a result of that. They had you know, very bad relationships or poor relationships with their children as a result of that. Um, and maybe some of them took attacks of conscience in their later years. I don't know if you are involved in the murder of people. Does it keep you awake at night? I think some people sleep quite well and I think that others maybe are haunted by some of the things that they did. And in terms of the randomness of that, you know, this wasn't... I suppose you're not talking about, when you look at the, the murder of either John O'Hare or John Devine, these men were not IRA men. This was not a war where two opposing forces of combatants were fighting with each other. These were literally random, easy targets. John Devine was murdered in front of his young son as he sat and watched a, a, a football match. Um, John O'Hare, as I said, his, his, his widowed wife had already buried one husband. Um, she'd met this lovely man. They had children together. You know, they were, they had a, a lovely life. And then, you know, Tara came and struck her again and it was completely and utterly random. But can you imagine now if once or twice a week someone was going out to work or, you know, drive a taxi and they were just being randomly shot because of, of their religion and we were reporting on that now, um, the outrage that that would cause. But it was like almost considered normality back then. And that's... I suppose the sad thing is that we haven't resolved the details of our troubles. We haven't managed to resolve them in any way, shape or form. Um, and all of that hurt still exists. And especially when you think about the pointlessness of it all. You know, you know, just a fellow going out to do his day's work. You know, I'm kind of stuck for words and I don't think I've been stuck for words before. I mean, Winston Churchill Ray, former leader of the Red Hand Commando, he died at the beginning of December and he was instrumental in taking other people's lives. So... Alison Morris, security correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The assistant producer was Olivia Peden. The clips you heard were from the BBC and CNN. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent. Terms and conditions apply.